an active investor can deduct up to $25,000 a year of their rental losses against their ordinary income. What's going on, Passive Wealth listeners? Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Today, our guest is Ted Lanzaro from Lanzaro CPA. Today, we're going to talk about some of the tax advantages that are out there for real estate investors that you can use to reduce your tax bill at the end of the year while growing your passive income. These are the things that they don't tell you about in school that H&R Block isn't telling you about and they can't advise you about to reduce that tax bill. You really need to get a qualified CPA on your team and today's lessons from Ted are really going to show you what a good CPA can do for you and how they can help you build your strategy to reduce your tax bill while growing your income. I learned a lot recording this interview. I'm sure you're going to learn a lot listening. I've gone back a few, back a few times and listened. There are many detailed advantages to real estate investing from a taxation standpoint that I wasn't taking advantage of and you might not be taking advantage of that we cover in this interview. So here we go. We're going to help you reduce your tax bill this coming year with these taxation strategies from Ted Lanzaro from Lanzaro CPA. Here we go. Hey, Taylor, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Love talking taxes. Big expense for real estate investors and busy professionals out there all around. Can you give us your background as a, uh, a tax professional, tax advisor, all that stuff? Introduce us to Ted. Yeah, sure. You know, um, I uh, started um, in, uh, in tax, you know, coming out of college and I joined a, uh, a firm and I was working uh, basically in the real estate department, working with uh, developers and, and, uh, and syndicators and stuff. And, um, you know, kind of uh, just doing the, tax, doing the tax stuff, learning, you know, because it was the first few years I was, I was in the business. And, um, you know, got to a point where I was about 10 years in and uh, a friend of mine uh, came to me and he said, uh, hey, he's like, you know, you really need to read this book. We're having lunch. He's like, you need to read this book, man, you know. And he handed me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Uh, you know? Of course. And um, so I, you know, I was reading this book and I said, you know, I was talking to my buddy and I said, you know, I said, I've got a lot of clients who are who are doing this. You know, they make pretty good money. I mean, you know, I think you're right. We should probably get into it, right? And so we decided we were going to be real estate investors, right? And you know, look, we were, you know, we were doing pretty good. You know, we we all had, you know, we had uh, we had both of us had careers and stuff, and we ended up taking up uh, a third partner, another buddy of ours that we went to high school with. And um, and the first day we went out, we bought three houses in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and. Um, had no idea what the hell we were doing. You know, we just <laughs> put contracts on them. We're going to rent these. We're going to fix them up and rent them out, right? And um, so uh, that's what we did. We fixed them up and we rented them out. And, you know, no systems, no, you know, just by the heels of your pants, you know, learning as you go kind of deal. And we, we got them rented. And, hey, they were cash flowing, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, as we went along, we um, we started picking up a few more few more properties and I started going to real estate investment clubs right and uh, and just networking with other real estate investors as part of my strategy to buy more properties and learn more right and um, somebody found out I was a CPA and they said hey you know you should come and do a um, 
like a seminar for uh, all our real estate investors and talk about the tax laws, talk about things you're using in your business. And I said, great, you know, uh, I would love to do that. You know, I'd never done it before. And the first time I did it, I, you know, got up, knees knocking, reading off, uh, reading off the slides on my PowerPoint, <laughs> right, you know, and, um, you know, that turned into, that was, you know, maybe that was uh, 2002, 2003. And um, it turned into, um, basically, um, a, a niche that I've been, uh, you know, went out, turned, you know, uh, at one point, uh, 2002, I went out on my own um, and started just uh, servicing my own real estate investing clients and, uh, and, and investing myself and kind of, you know, um, you know, kind of build myself as the CPA who's also an investor and uh, turned out to be a pretty nice marketing niche. And now, you know, looking, you know, now 17 years later, uh, you know, I can walk into any room full of any any number of real estate investors and, and without any kind of, uh, you know, PowerPoint or anything, just sit down and say, okay, let's talk real estate, you know, uh, and taxation specifically. And so back about 2015, I decided to take uh, some of that, um, all of the knowledge that I've been using and actually put it into a book. So I wrote a book called The Tax Smart Landlord and it's 39 tax strategies for real estate investors. And, um, you know, now I use it as sort of my, you know, cornerstone of my uh, practice and uh, the thing that I use when I go to, you know, when I go to speaking events and that sort of thing I give away, the, I give away the book to investors. Nice, that is quite the giveaway. And taxes are, you know, just for the average person, taxes are one of our biggest, if not our biggest expense, especially a high earning person that's paying the highest marginal rate at their W-2. So there's a big upside in, to, in having a tax strategy. Now, granted, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of other ways, a lot of things we could talk about here today. I wanted to make sure we covered the, a few things. Let's start with the real estate professional designation how can people use that what is it how can investors use it and who can benefit from that sure so there's essentially so and this is the this is the sort of the starting point of the book also which is there's basically three kinds of investors so there's passive investors those would be like your limited partners in a kind of a syndication deal right no they're just putting money in they have no control over decision making or anything they're passive investors then you have active investors. So an active investor would be somebody who owns his own properties and is actively managing them, right? And um, and then you have the real estate professional designation. So a passive investor is only allowed to get to zero on uh, as far as deducting losses. So they um, they cannot deduct losses from their rental properties against their ordinary income, their earned income, right? Um, the best they can do is to get to zero. Now, an active investor can deduct up to $25,000 a year of their rental losses against their ordinary income. Now, typically those losses aren't actual cash dollars out of their pocket. Typically they're, they're based on the depreciation deduction on the property. So the whole reason everybody wants to invest in real estate, right, is it's a great um, tax shelter. You can actually put cash in your pocket and have net income before depreciation, cash flow before depreciation, and then have that depreciation deduction um, 
basically offset the income, but you still get the money in your pocket. So a lot of times it creates a loss and you can use that loss um, to offset ordinary income if you're an active investor up to $25,000. Now, that um, advantage disappears once your adjusted gross income exceeds $150,000 a year. So mm. if you're a high income professional, right, then, and you own rental properties, and let's say you make $250,000 a year, you don't get to take that $25,000 deduction. You get what's called phased out of that deduction. Now, you don't lose it, and passive investors don't lose it either, okay? Basically, it accumulates as what's called a passive loss carryover, okay? And you can use your passive loss carryovers in one of two scenarios. One, you have other passive income to offset that income, right? So if I've got a carryover from last year of $5,000 and this year I have um, passive income of $5,000, well, I can net the carryover against that and pay and have zero taxable income. Or um, when I sell the property, I get all of the accumulated losses, right? So if a passive loss or an a passive investor in a syndication has carryover losses, they get to take those losses when the property sold. Okay. Um, now, it's a completely different story for a real estate professional. To be a real estate professional, you have to um, have 750 hours of real estate-related business time. That could be managing your properties. It could be you could be a developer. You could be a real estate broker. Um, there's a whole bunch of you could be a property manager. There's a whole bunch of real estate-based professions that qualify, right? And you has to be more than half of all of the other work activities that you do. So I have people who come to me and they say, well, I want to be a real, I want you to classify me as a real estate, investor, uh, real estate professional. Well, the way you say, you got a 40 hour a week job. So in order for you to be a real estate professional, you're working 2080 hours at your job every year. You'd have to be working 2081 hours in real estate. So, you know, <laughs> you're a busy guy. When do you sleep? Right. You know, so typically the people that qualify as, as real estate professionals are going to be the people who are legit in the real estate business, you know, right? They're the professional uh, syndicators, they're the developers, they're the brokers. Um, and uh, what that means is when you when you qualify as a real estate professional, then you can take unlimited losses from your rental properties against your ordinary income. And I'll just give you an example. I have a client who's a real estate broker, and there was a year where he made like uh, $300,000 in real estate brokerage commissions, but he also had a $50,000 rental loss from, from a cost segregation study on a property that he, did, that he bought that year. Well, he was able to use that $50,000 against his $300,000 of income wow. and only pay tax on $250,000. That's about a $15,000 break in that bracket, tax break in that bracket in Connecticut, you know, where we have, you know, state income tax, you know, right? So, um, so that'll kind of give you the idea of kind of the power of that strategy. Yeah. And I, you mentioned the state income tax. That's an important clarification is how does this apply to federal versus state income taxes? I mean, does it depend on your state? Do some states not recognize this? Is it across the board? How does that all work? Yeah, it's actually across the board. Um, to, my, to my knowledge, all states kind of follow the federal um, rules on that specific uh, area of real estate professional. 
Hmm. Wow. And something that is um, always the tough question when we're trying to find the right person for our team is how do we find a CPA that really understands real estate investing? Like what's the best way to go about that if we don't have a, a CPA yet uh, like yourself? How do we get one? How do we find the best one maybe in our area or our specific um, classes? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not it's not easy to do. I think in a lot of areas, and especially if there's real estate investment clubs, um, you'll find that there's a CPA or two who are working um, those uh, those clubs, you know. Um, and so then it becomes, well, one, do you have real estate knowledge? Two, are you actually an investor? So I'm an active investor. I mean, so what I bring to the table with my client is not just tax acumen and knowledge of uh, of the tax laws as it relates to real estate, but also the the investor knowledge of saying, hey, wait a second, why do you even want to buy that property? You know, that's that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Or uh, have you thought about this? You know, I mean, I could walk through I could walk through a building and estimate the repair costs. You know, probably to within five percent. There's not a lot of CPAs who can do that, right? So it's really about um, a lot of it is about are are you an investor? The other the other thing I would ask my CPA is you know are you proactive, you know, or are you just going to throw my numbers on on my um, on my tax return at the end at the end of the year? So my client, so I had a guy call me the other day, and I work nationwide by the way. So I had a guy, uh, I'm in up in Connecticut. I have a guy call me from Fort Lauderdale, right? And he says, I want to, you know, I want to uh, talk to you about my taxes for next year. He's like, I still haven't got my taxes done for 2018. I have no idea how much money I'm going to owe, right? But I know I made a lot of money. I'm like, well, here's the thing. Let's start with this. In my office, you would have known what you owed in November or December, <laughs> okay? Because we would have actually done a projection based on your based on your numbers. And I would have told you, you know, hey, Taylor, you know, based on the numbers you just gave me, you're going to owe $15,000. But if we do this, this, and this before the end of the year, you can get that down to say $8,000. And that's the really important part of being proactive is that almost all good tax strategies have to be implemented before the end of the year. And so, you know, it's the same thing with 1031 exchanges, for example. You can't sell your property and then in April call your CPA and say, oh, I want to do a 1031 exchange on that. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you have to, you have to um, know you're going to do the exchange before you ever actually close on the property. So it's, it's those kind of proactive things. Those, that's what I would be looking for. I'd be looking for somebody who knows real estate, who is an investor, and who has a proactive approach. Mm, that's very, very helpful. Now, something that I've seen with, you mentioned uh, depreciation and, and tracking that. And something that I've seen with uh, some folks is they don't really seem, maybe their bookkeeping's really uh, not up to snuff or, or they're not sure how to actually track their uh, depreciation over time or, or what they've uh, claimed, so to speak, or what they've depreciated off and where they stand on their their taxable basis. What do you recommend as the best way to, you know, to track all of those numbers? Is it 
especially now as you know technology gets more integrated with our businesses what are you recommending for to your clients as far as their bookkeeping in that regard yeah you know i mean look here's the here's the thing the bookkeeping is extremely important and um and so what i we get we start with hey you've got to have a good bookkeeping system and um so let's get you set up correctly right and then as part of the uh, bookkeeping that we're doing we're also giving them a depreciation schedule and that depreciation schedule is going to have all of that information on it so that when we um every year we can tell them hey look um here's your depreciation uh, adjustment for the year and this is uh the numbers we're going to put into your system and so that you know how much uh, accumulated depreciation you have for that period of time and that will allow you to basically be strategic about when you are trying to um, say when you are trying to when you're when you're thinking about selling a property you're able to basically calculate the gain on the sale of the property right so you have to know those numbers in order to be able to calculate uh, the gain on the sale and so that's where um, knowing all that stuff having a good record keeping system you know comes into play and in the tax smart landlord book we talk about the first couple of chapters are all about the importance of record keeping because um, it's sort of the foundation of being proactive being strategically proactive about your taxes just like a foundation you know uh, supports a house right and you wouldn't build a house on quicksand you don't <laughs> build your tax strategy on crappy records so it really starts the people who keep good records um are are most of most of my clients that keep good records are not leaving money on the table and most people who don't keep good records, I guarantee you they'll leave money on it. Mm, so there's the bottom line. Keep good tax records because if you're not, you're probably leaving money on the table. Now, uh, something that is important if we're, if we're all talking about depreciation and capital gains and all that, people always want to know about the 1031 exchange. So for the folks out there who don't know the basics of a 1031 exchange, can you you know, give us a quick overview of uh, what a 1031 is. Yeah, so it's it's basically um, a way of deferring the capital gains on the sale of a property. Okay, and it, it I think it's the it's probably the best wealth producing um, tax strategy there is because it allows you to trade up from trade from one property to another without paying the capital gains. And to the extent that you can avoid paying the capital gains tax, then you have more money in your pocket to be able to invest and thus build wealth. So it works really great in, in rising markets, right? So let's say, so I had a guy and over a period of, I have a client who over a period of about 10 years, um, purchased a whole bunch of small units, right? So maybe he bought up, maybe he had like 150 doors he bought over 10 years right and nice. so now the market starts to go up a little bit 
right? So he decides, you know what? I'm going to sell those um, those properties. And at the time, those properties this is, this goes back a little ways, but at the time, those properties were worth about two million dollars. Okay. So now the way the 1031 exchange works is so he sold them all to one investor. So he sold $2 million worth of properties. Now he's got to go out and buy another $2 million property or some other properties up to $2 million. And the way the, the way the 1031 exchange works is you hire a person called a qualified intermediary who at closing holds your money. Right, and now you have 45 days to identify the properties you're going to purchase, and 180 days to close on them. And if you do that, then you're able to defer the capital gain on the sale of the property. So in this case, he deferred the capital gain on the sale of his 150 doors. What he did was he went out and he bought a shopping center. It was right on the main road um, down in South Florida where I lived, and he spent. It was a little rundown, and he spent the next year fixing it up and and then putting tenants into it and every time you drive by you know we used to drive by all the time every time you drive by the the on the main road you know there he was out there on working on something you know on the roof paving whatever he was doing right and you know after about about after about a year he had the property all fixed up he had some good tenants in there and he turned around and this is again it's a this is a fast we were in a fast rising market at the time so he turns around and he sells uh the property for three and a half million dollars right nice and he makes he makes he had put about a half million into it bought it for two put another half million into it so he had a million dollar capital gain now he had a he had um, a million dollar capital gain on his other properties too. So now he's got $2 million of capital gains. Um, so uh, when he sold that, when he sold that, um, that shopping center for three and a half million, he in theory should have paid taxes on $2 million of capital gains, but he did another exchange. And what he did was he went and he bought um, six um, buildings in Texas that he leased to AutoZone. Okay. So now he's got, hmm. Uh, six triple triple net leases, right? And um, all he has to do is collect it. Now all he does is collect a check. He doesn't have to manage the property anymore. So every month he was getting a check for like forty grand, right? Uh, net after they paid uh, all the expenses, the mortgage and whatever the, that he had on the property. And so he went from and that those properties are worth like five million dollars right so he went from having about a million dollars in real estate to having about five million dollars in real estate in like four and a half years and never paid a dime in capital gains tax and that's why i say it's a really uh great wealth um generating strategy right now here's the kicker on that right um he lives in he lives in Florida still, right? Florida doesn't have so the 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 estate tax uh, in the United States now is you know the the limit is high, pretty high. I don't even know what the number is, but it's not five million. At five million, you can gift your property to your kids, and there's no estate tax um, ramifications of that, and there's no wow. estate tax in the state of Florida, right? So now, when he dies, okay his kids will get a step up in the basis of those properties up to the fair market value at, at the time of the sale or at the time of his death, 
right? So he dies, his kids get the properties, they get a step up to fair market value. Now their cost basis is whatever those properties are worth. So if they turn around and sell them the next day, literally, there is no capital gain. So it's, a, I mean, think, think about that. It's, it's, a, it's a way to literally create, not only create wealth, but create generational wealth. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And, you know, the, compounded with the benefits of triple net properties where it's like you said, he's just he's just pretty much collecting a check. I mean, especially if they have a commercial lease and he, he has long term debt on those properties. I mean, he's more or less on easy street at that point. He can go sit on the beach if he wants, you know, at least uh, till he passes away. So uh, pretty good to be his kids. So. Something yeah, I've seen. He was, I mean, he was 45 when he did that, by the way. So he had a long way to go. Right? Those kids are he's, still pretty young. Yeah, he's uh, he's still around, and his kids, you know, his kids were his kids were young at the time. I'm sure they're they're probably in their you know mid 20s now. But um, you know, he's still around, and he's and you know that that that's the power of it. He worked his butt off from you know in his mid 20s up until about the time he was 40, and you know, and then he was just able to retire with uh, you know pretty pretty credible amount of uh, passive income every month. Nice. I like that. So one of the questions I've seen asked a lot recently, you know, because I'm coming from the syndication world, is can you 1031, use a 1031 exchange to sell properties to then buy limited partner shares in syndicated real estate? Is that possible? It is possible. Yeah, it's definitely possible. The mechanics are a little bit harder, right? For for a couple of reasons, you know. One, it a lot of it depends on the size of the sale you just had, right? So the bigger the sale, the harder it's going to be to find a syndication that can accommodate, you know, if you if you if you just sold uh, in his case, let's say he sold that three and a half million dollar property, he's going to have a hard time finding a syndication that he can he can drop three and a half million dollars into because you've got to um, you've got to cover the sales price of the previous property right but it definitely can be done and it's um and it's a strategy that uh, smaller investors who have who want to get out of from from being active to being passive can definitely use so if, if you're if you're an active investor who owns you know uh a small you know some small multifamilies for example right and you're like man i'm tired of this i want to stay in real estate i like the i like the cash flow without the without the taxes uh, maybe then your strategy is sell your active properties and then um use that you know smaller amount of money to get into you know uh a syndication that is set up in such a way as to accept 1031 dollars mm, yeah yeah that's a good point Okay. Well, that's uh, that's probably a question we'll have to get into a lot more uh, deeply on another show, as it sounds like it's it's fairly complicated. But it is good to know that uh, that it's possible. Mechanics of it are the, though are going to be a little bit difficult. So uh, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Ted, I got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Sure. Shoot. First one. What is the best investment in real estate? that you ever made best investment in real estate so um i um I, when we were down when i lived in down in south florida i um was working with a couple of buddies of ours and um there was this house we used to drive by all the time and um the, 
it was vacant, and we knew it was vacant. It had like weeds. It looked like the the Munster family house, right? You know, just like overgrown bushes and everything. So we um, actually, I went to the courthouse and I found out who owned it, and we sent them a letter, and uh, we got a phone call saying, "Wow, you want to buy that house? It's uh, my uncle's house. You know, I live in California." Um, you know, typical, like, you know, like uh, almost like a dream scenario, right? I live in California. <laughs> you know, if you guys want the house, you know, just make me an offer. So we knew the house was probably worth about $250,000, $260,000 fixed up. Um, so we, we offered them uh, $120,000, right? And we bought the house and we started fixing it up, right? And we had put, just put a little bit of work back. Matter of fact, I, I can, I, I was there the day that these guys were basically power washing the roof and, uh, you know, cleaning up, cleaning it up and they were going to paint it white. And uh, a car pulls up and this lady gets out and she says to me, um, oh, uh, what are you doing with this house? I'm like, oh, you know, uh, oh, and we had just cleaned up the yard too. So she said, what are you doing with this house? And uh, I said, well, we're going to fix it up and we're going to sell it. And she's like, oh, do you mind if I go and take a look at it? I'm like, uh, well, you know, it's not really fixed up yet, but, you know, be my guest, right? And she walked, you know, she walked through the house or whatever. And um, she came out and um, she said, this house would be perfect for my mom. I'll give you $250,000 the way it is. Wow. Like, really? Where do we sign up for that? <laughs> and, and you know what? Two days later, we had a signed contract and we sold, we sold the house, right? So it, get, it gets even better. Because uh, a few weeks after that, we had a call from a guy who sold us the house. And he's like, you know, just so you know, I have another house right down the street from that house that was my aunt's house. And it's basically in the same condition. Would you guys by any chance be interested in buying that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we would. We would be interested in buying that one. And we ended up buying that one and fixing it up. And, and and flipping that one, you know, uh, but we had to do the work on that one, unfortunately. But yeah, that was uh, that was the that was the funniest and the, probably the best deal we ever did. Wow, yeah, that's a great one. I like that. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment that you've made in real estate? I think the worst investment was one we didn't actually do. So um, we got a lead on a house and it was in Vero Beach, Florida. And that was about two hours north of us. And um, it was a, uh, one of my partner's sisters lived up that way. And she's like, you know, this guy in my neighborhood wants to sell his house. And, you know, if it would be really nice if it was fixed up. And, you know, it's six houses from the beach, you know, right where I live. You, know, you guys should come up and take a look at it. And we went up and took a look at it. And, um, you know, we could see there was definitely potential rising market, probably, you know, uh, an after repair value of about, 500, 600, 500, 550, 600 thousand dollars, depending on what you did to it. And um, the guy wanted uh, like 225 thousand dollars, and I said, "Oh man, we were going to have to put maybe 100 grand into it." I was like, "Guys, this is a no-brainer. We have to do this." And I had one partner who would do anything, and I had one partner who didn't want to do anything, <laughs> right? You know, and I was sort of the mediator, right? Well, unfortunately, we let our part, our partner, our very conservative partner, who how are we going to manage it? He had a million. How are we going to do this? And how are we going to do that? Questions, right? And so we, you know what? We didn't, we didn't do it. We passed on it, right? So now maybe uh, eight, nine months later, I'm at a real estate investor club meeting and I'm talking to a rehabber that I know up in, up in that area. 
know? And he's like, man, you should see this deal I just sold, you know? And he's telling me about it. And uh, sure enough, it's six houses from the beach. And he starts showing me pictures and I start laughing. He's like, what? He says, I was like, I've seen that house. I said, what did you sell it for? He said, six and a quarter. He says, I made almost $300,000 on it. And I was like, Ugh. son of a gun, right? So <laughs> don't you know, my partner got an earful. You know, when I got home that yeah. day, you know, you know he, got a, he got a phone call on the way home. You know, saying, oh, you dummy. But um, anyway, that was probably the worst, the worst deal we didn't do. You know, uh, basically, that was that was probably our worst. Could have been a serious, serious home run. That is a yeah. bummer. Yeah. That is a big bummer. My favorite question of these three is, what is the most important lesson that you've learned in real estate investing? I think the most important lesson that I've learned in real estate investing is, is to be disciplined, right? And to not um, chase deals. I, you know, I'm I'm a CPA, so I am to some extent, you know, conservative when I when I um, look at houses and look at numbers, look at properties. So um, uh, when I go out, say if I'm going to do a flip on a house, um, if it looks broken, it's broken, and I price it in. Right. You know, if I was doing a, a big syndication deal, I'd be the guy on the team who, you know, was was trying to figure out, well, what happens if we lose five percent of the tenants? What happens if we lose 10 percent of the tenants? What happens if we need a new roof? You know. Right. So I'm always looking at the, the scenario. So um, so I, I think as an investor, you have to realize that um, you're going to look at a lot of properties um, to find that good one that really is a good investment and not to, um, you know, not to try to, not, not to try to make everything a deal, right? You know, a deal, you'll, you'll know a deal when you see it. You don't have to try to create a deal. If you have to try to create a deal, it's probably not one, you know, and uh, so don't go around chasing shiny objects, you know, stick to, you know, a, a disciplined approach. Interesting. I, I appreciate that. I hear from a lot of very successful people. Don't go chasing those shiny objects. I've heard that advice so many times, and once I started taking it myself, everything uh, everything got better. So don't go chasing shiny objects, and, and don't try to turn everything to a, into a deal. I like I like all of that. Uh, so so Ted, thank you for joining us today, talking about all this tax strategy stuff. And where can folks get in touch with you? Give us the name of the book again, all that good stuff, so they can go out and uh, hopefully get themselves a copy. Great. So the name of the book is The Tax Smart Landlord. It's available on my website for free. You can download a copy. Um, the website is www.lanzarocpa.com. That's L-A-N-Z-A-R-O-C-P-A.com. I, um, I also, um, you can um, become my friend on Facebook. Um, Ted Lanzaro, and um, I distribute a lot of information supplementary to the book. We do a lot of video. Um, we'll probably take like a podcast like this and cut it up into chunks and, and distribute it over uh, a period of time. Um, so we do a lot of, uh, we give away a lot of free information. So you can, um, you can um, like the Tax Smart Landlord on Facebook. You can like Lanzaro CPA on Facebook and get access to all of that information. And um, if you'd like to call me and talk real estate or talk taxes, my phone number is 
1742. And, um, you know, I work nationally. We use Zoom to do teleconferences and stuff where we do tax planning teleconferences, you know, face to face. So it's, uh, we've got a cool setup. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, be prepared to get a lot of calls from the passive wealth army out there. That's all I can, that's all I can say, giving out your number like that. That's, very generous of you. Very generous. Yeah, of you. no, you know what? I, I, I want to talk to people. It's a, it's a people business, you know, and uh, I certainly don't mind, uh, you know, uh, talking real estate with people. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you for joining us today. I certainly appreciate all the knowledge and all of your time and all the awesomeness you shared with us. Thanks, Till. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's a big help. helps other people learn about the show. And if you know someone out there that could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into our tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we will talk to you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye.